This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to 10 O'Clock Church. My name is Tim Escott. I'll be leading the service this morning. It's great to be together to be meeting as God's people to worship Him in love and in awe. I'm going to start our time by reading some of Psalm 135. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord. You that stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God, praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing his name, for he is gracious. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. For I know that the Lord is great, our Lord is above all gods. Well, this morning we're beginning our new series looking at the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments, they come in a time in the Bible when God has just rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt. He's defeated their enemies, made them his people, and then he gives them his good law to show them how to respond to him, really how to worship him. And so with that in mind, the psalm that I just read from before, continues. Have a listen to this. This is Psalm 135. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. It is he who makes the clouds rise at the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. It was he who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, both human beings and animals. He sent signs and wonders Into your midst, O Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Uh, The first reading this morning is from Matthew, chapter 5, verses 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, The second reading this morning is from Deuteronomy, chapter 5, verses 6 to 7, and then from chapter 6, 4 to 12. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children, and talk about them when you are at home, and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand, 
fix them as an emblem on your forehead, and write them on the doorposts of your house and on the gates. When the Lord your God has brought you into the land that he swore to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you a land with fine, large cities that you did not build, houses filled with all sorts of goods that you did not fill, hewn cisterns that you did not hew, vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you have eaten your fill, take care that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives. For the glory of your great name. Amen. Please do sit down and very warm welcome to you who are here, but also welcome to those who are watching online. Well, I want to start with a pretty intense question, a confronting question. What is good? What is good? And who is good? It's remarkable to think, while you're thinking about that question, it's remarkable to think that way back in 1956, the film director, Cecil B. DeMille, whose most famous movie was Ben-Hur, that's right, released a blockbuster movie with the title The Ten Commandments, starring the legendary actor Charlton Heston, right? You can't imagine a, mo a movie with that title being made today. Not that we don't have biblical epics on film, we've got quite a few of them. But the idea that you would have as the selling point, think about it, the selling point and the title of your movie, not the liberation of the slave people from Egypt and, or their conquest of the promised land, not the heroism of Moses, the prince of Egypt, but the giving of the law of God. How do you think that would go? I don't think it is too much to say that the vision of the bearded and perennially stern Moses coming down from the mountain to a people cowering in terror in the valley below with the thunder and lightning of God's presence crashing around him as he holds the two stone tablets of the law on which God himself has written haunts us. We don't like it. We don't like the idea of a God who, when he speaks to us, commands us to obey him. We don't like the idea that right and wrong come from somewhere outside of us. We want to decide what is good for ourselves, to be subject only to our own moral codes and to be our own moral judges. We don't like to think that the good and flourishing human life consists in obedience to a moral code. Well, it's not so much that we don't like to think it, it's just we don't believe it could possibly be true that the good and flourishing human life could consist in obeying some laws handed down on a set of stone tablets. And so our answers to the question, what is good, who is good, tend to be subjective. Ultimately, what is good is what I feel is good for me. What is good, you'll know what is good, we say. There'll be an inner voice that'll tell you. And since I am the measure of good, then I am good. I don't think we tend to think that we are perfect. We won't go that far. But we do tend to think that we're good, we're okay, we're acceptable according to our own moral, moral standards. 
But of course, this just doesn't work if you think about it. Because we always feel, we also feel that others are doing wrong and that they need to be held to account for it. I mean, you do, don't you? We do look at others and think they're doing the wrong thing and really someone ought to tell them about it. We see evil and injustice and we feel outrage and we want to call it out. And and rightly so. We should not be silent while abuse and corruption flourish, should we? But if it's up to each person to decide what right and wrong is for themselves, then how can we do that? What are we left with? And this is where I think the inconsistency and hypocrisy of our culture is exposed for what it is. For what we want is for morality to be subjective for ourselves, but for it to be objective for everyone else. We want freedom for me and obedience for you. And that's true, right? Admit it. I think this is the source of our moral confusion in our times. We supposedly have no agreed standard of right and wrong, but it turns out, and half an hour on the internet will tell you that this is true, we are more judgmental and less forgiving than ever. Now, the church is not immune to this. I think something of this spirit has come with us into church too. Perhaps in a previous generation, we learnt too much of obedience and not enough of grace, too much of law and not enough of love. The Christian life was reduced to a list of things that were forbidden. Perhaps that is true of the Christian education you received. The impression you got was that Christianity was a forbidding moral code, that it consisted of thou shalt nots and nothing else, that we spoke too little of freedom and joy. We wanted to want to serve God, not simply to obey. We rightly heard Jesus' critique of the religious legalism of his day, and we didn't want to be part of that religious legalism. Now, I know this is part of my own story growing up in a Christian home. The Christian life, even though I was spoken to all the time about God's grace, the way I received it was that the impression I got was that it was all about rules. And it was really a duty to be a Christian, not a joy. It wasn't until I understood what God had done for me in Jesus Christ, that he loves me, that I really began to love him and to see his commandments to me as an expression of his love for me. It's true that reducing the Christian life to a list of rules is problematic to say the least. But going the other way, ditching the commandments... That means we've forgotten that even though we're not saved by obeying God, we are saved in order to obey God. The Ten Commandments ought to be our bread and butter. Previous generations of Christians, you can see it up here in the front of St. Mark's, wrote them on the walls of the church because they knew that Christians should not forget these commandments. They knew that they were saved by the blood of Christ they still wanted to know what God himself, our Redeemer, would have us do. And so the Ten Commandments ought to be what every Christian wants to know. All right, but at this stage you might be saying, look, aren't the the Ten Commandments part of the Old Testament law given to Israel a long time before Jesus Christ? And isn't the Old Testament really what we're saved from? Isn't all that 
commanding what where what Jesus came to 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 save us from was condemning us and Jesus came to die so that we are now not under law but under grace. I mean Paul actually uses those words and didn't Paul the apostle fight tooth and nail to say that the Gentile Christians didn't have to keep the Old Testament law in becoming Christians? Well that is true certainly of the majority of the Old Testament law code. Now in the Old Testament there are 613 laws and they tell us all sorts of things. They tell us what to eat, what and what not to eat, what to wear, how and when and what to wash and what to do and more besides. And Christians are no longer obliged to keep much of that law. But everyone acknowledges that the Ten Laws, known as the Ten Commandments, are different. For one thing, they are given to us twice in the Bible, in Exodus once, and then as Moses retells the story to the next generation in the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses tells us there is a kind of directness about the Ten The way he tells it, this is not just his exposition and application of the will of God. These are the very words of God that God himself spoke to Moses and therefore spoke to the people of Israel directly, unmediated. When Moses reports these ten words, he just says, God said, he said. They stand out as different. We might add to this that in the New Testament, both Paul and Jesus repeat parts of the, New, of the Ten Commandments as if they are to be applied to Christians. Now, of course, they've both got something to say about love as being at the heart of the law. But at the same time, they uphold the Ten Commandments as a way in which we are to know what it is to love God and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And they remind us that the Old Testament had said exactly this about love, that we should love God and love our neighbours. So our forefathers and mothers were right. We should, as Christians, go to the Ten Commandments as to, to study them and to know them. Uh, even Martin Luther, from the great reformer from the 16th century, the most radical prophet of grace the church has ever known, once said, this much is certain, Anyone who knows the Ten Commandments perfectly knows the entire Scriptures. So that's our mission for this term, is to look at the Ten Commandments, to know them uh, as perfectly as we can, because in knowing them, we will know the Christian life. We will know the Bible itself. But how many of the commandments do you remember? The trouble with them having written up here, they're in very, very tiny writing and they're kind of concealed, so you can't even cheat at this point. Most Christians actually struggle to name more than four or five. There was a survey done in America which, uh, which, which uh, first of all, uh, discovered that many, many people, a majority of people in America, want to live by the Ten Commandments. But then it discovered that more Americans could remember the ingredients of a Big Mac and the members of the Brady Bunch then could remember the Ten Commandments. I'm sure more Australians could remember Don Bradman's batting average, which is 99.94, by the way, than could remember the Ten Commandments. I've even conducted the experiment in theological college and asked how many theological college students in my class could remember the Ten Commandments, and the results were not encouraging, I have to say. Which ones do you think people can most recall? Well... (laughs) 
Adultery, yes. Exactly. Uh, the adultery one, the stealing one, the killing one, the not bearing false witness one, and then people trail off. They forget. Which I reckon shows us that we remember the Ten Commandments as little more than a checklist of individual moral behaviour, a way to stay out of trouble at best. But when we read the Ten Commandments properly, perfectly, as Martin Luther encourages us to do, we'll see that they are far, far more than this. And so we, you and I, need to go back. I'm hoping we will go back in this 10 weeks to Moses and the people of God at that mountain, trembling at the very voice of God himself. These are indeed the words of the Lord. Of the Lord. And when we do, we'll discover four amazing things about these words. We'll discover that the Ten Commandments reveal the very character of God. They reveal who he is. We'll discover that the Ten Commandments are about living with God truly as God. And we'll discover the Ten Commandments are about living the truly human life. And we'll discover that the Ten Commandments are about real love, love of God and love of neighbour. So first of all, the Ten Commandments reveal who God is. Now, some of the Ten Commandments are indeed moral principles that you could see anywhere. Uh, any philosopher could have come up, uh, up with them. Uh, most law codes across human existence condemn murder and stealing, for example. But the Ten Commandments start not there, but with a set of commandments to us that are about the Lord God and are about how we are to worship Him. That is to say, they are not just about ethics, they are about worship. They connect how we live with how, who we worship. They collect, collect what we do with a person, the person of the living Lord God. This is true of the first four of our commandments. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make idols. You shall not misuse the Lord's name. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. These are instructions for our memories to remember who and to know at depth who the Lord himself is. And who is he? He is the Holy Lord who thunders from the mountain, the immortal, invisible God who is own, the only wise Father, con concealed from our eyes by that light inaccessible. And yet he reveals himself in these words, into his holiness. He reveals himself in his faithfulness, his truth, his graciousness, and his giving of the gift of life. He commands us to be like him in these things, to speak truly, to be faithful in our marriages, to, um, to be gracious and generous with one another, and to acknowledge and uphold the gift of life. Because to do that is to be like him. He is the creator of the earth and all that is in it. He is the God of supreme power and might. And by giving these commands, he declares himself to be our judge. He will hold human beings accountable. Make no mistake. Now, all lawgivers law and politicians will know that if you make laws, you have to uh, also go with it, a way of upholding that law, a way of holding people accountable to that law. The law is toothless without that. So as God declares this law, he declares that human beings... You and I will be held accountable to it. Make no mistake. But he says in verse 6 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, as he introduces these words, something more about who he is. He says, 
I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is to say, he's the redeemer of his people. He is the liberator and the saviour. He has heard the cry of the helpless and the hopeless. He will find a home for the homeless. He has heard the words of the sinner and the slave, their hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he is determined that he will fill it. He is like no other God in history. He is holy in character. He made all things. He upholds his justice. And he redeems his people. He is not a far off force. He is not blind chance. He is not some dumb statue made of stone and wood. He is not a moody God whose will is one thing on Monday and another thing on Tuesday. He is not in competition with other gods. So that worshipping him is like backing a horse in a horse race or choosing which politician to lobby. This is why the first commandment says both, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It's a declaration of who it is who's giving this law. And also, you shall have no other gods before me. This God, the Lord, is one of a kind. He's without parallel. He demands exclusive exclusivity because he deserves it. You can't then... Hold a competitor to him in your heart. It's not that it is wrong to do so so much, though indeed it is. But it just isn't true that there is any competitor to God. To have some other God or thing as God before the true God is to buy into a lie, is to believe an utter falsehood. Because this is the statement of reality. There is no other God before this God. It is just not true that any other being, any other thing, any other person deserves your wholehearted attention. And so we move on to the second thing we discover here, that the Ten Commandments are about living with God truly as God. In revealing who the Lord is, the Ten Commandments teach us what it is to live with God as God. Jesus would say that we are to love him with all we have, heart, mind, soul, strength. What does it mean then to have no other gods before the Lord God? It means that only the Lord is worthy of your devotion. And we see in the Ten Commandments, by the way, that there are other good things in the world. And we have other vital obligations. We are turned in the Ten Commandments to these Obligations to our families, to our parents and to our spouses, to those who live within our gate. We have obligations to our communities. We have obligations to our neighbours as human beings. And we have obligations even to the creation itself. Even the animals get a look in in the Ten Commandments. But none of these supersede our obligation to the Lord. In fact, they all derive from the command to have no other God before the Lord. The Lord God is not just a leisure activity for the weekend, but worship of him is to shape all we do, all we are, and all of our relationships. It governs all our other obligations. 
Now, we live in a largely post-Christian secular society. The competitors to the Lord that come calling on us do not usually pose literally as gods. But the Bible recognizes that material things can take the place in our lives and dreams that only the Lord God deserves. We hope and expect that our, for our prosperity and our well-being and our happiness to come from our possessions, from our experiences, from our achievements, and from our significant, often romantic relationships. And yet, these cannot bear the weight of our longings. To have only God truly as God is to know, is to really know that only he is the giver of the things we need. That all the things we long for come from his hand, even as we have them in our other relationships and our other areas and spheres of life. But only he is solid enough. Only he is real enough. Only he is good enough to deserve our wholehearted worship. And so the Lord God is to be our prior priority over all things. This is the challenge to you this year. What others do you have before him? What other divinities rule in your life? Why does your Christian life sit on your list of leisure activities, alongside going to the club, eating at degustation restaurants, travelling overseas, whatever else it might be? Find things those, those are to do. He is the God who redeemed you from the bondage of your sins and gives you hope where you had none. Everything else you, ought, you do ought to stem from having this one as God and none other before him. But do not fear. I think our fear is that in having this God before all other gods, the joy will be sucked out of life, that he is forbidding and foreboding. But the Ten Commandments show us what it is to live the truly human life. Then the Jews of old used to speak of the nourishing pleasantness of the law. In Psalm 19, we read it is, much, it is to be desired more than much fine gold. It is sweeter also than the honey of the honeycomb. It's something to rejoice and delight in. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, 176 verses of it, is this extraordinary love song to the law of God, to the words of God, which enrich and secure and protect and bless the life of the author of that psalm. Now, we find this a bit weird, don't we? It's a bit like celebrating the tax code or the road rules. Why would you do that? But we should see with the psalmist the Ten Commandments as, a wonderfully, as wonderfully given to us for our blessing. They direct us to the wise and flourishing human life. Even as they reveal the character of the holy God, the commands treat us as the creatures we are. We are frail and fallible, weak in body, but also in need of guidance because we are prone to sin. We need to rest. And so we are commanded to rest and to allow others to rest because of the frailty of our bodies, 
They need to be replenished and restored. Who do we think we are if we do not rest? Do we think we are God? And yet we are commanded, we are commanded to rest for our benefit. When we act with integrity in our sex lives and with our words, it is actually good for us and for others. Just as adultery and lying are disastrous, so fidelity and truth-speaking are a tangible blessing. They bring stability. They develop trust, the trust around which communities grow. They're a blessing to all. When we guard our hearts from envy, we become content with what we have. Theodore Roosevelt, it was, who says that envy is the thief of joy. A very true word. And the Ten Commandments direct us away from covetousness, from envying others. We would rather live, I'm sure, in a, in a community where theft and killing are clearly wrong. When we honour our parents, we understand the multi-generational nature of human community. We understand that we have things from God's hand and God directs us to honour our parents so it will go well for us. These commands then are utterly humanising. In particular, they speak to the powerful about their use of power and the things they own. Where to, the, the, the wealthy are to allow those who work for them to rest just as they rest. For all human beings are human beings made in the image of God. They are less about my rights and more about my obligation to others, which may make them less sexy to us. And yet, we know it is true. A community that truly lived by the Ten Commandments would be a great place to live. It would be a just and prosperous community. And in fact, it would be a loving place to live. For the Ten Commandments are about real love. Of course, this was Jesus' take on the law. But it wasn't as if love was absent from the Old Testament accounts of the law of God. Evidently, by Jesus' day, this had been forgotten. To say that the law is summed up by the commands to love is not to say that the directions of the commandments are now redundant. Neither is it to say, so do whatever your hearts desire. I mean, that's how our culture interprets love. We say that love is doing whatever you find within you, following your heart, doing what it is that you want to do. Love is, we say, whatever you want it to be and in whatever direction you want it to take. An infinitely malleable ethic made of plasticine, telling you that only if you believe, if you only believe it in your heart, it must be right and true. But just as the law without love is brutal, so love without the law is vacuous. Jesus' take on the law, though, helps us to see the commandment as a way of nurturing our hearts, that we might love God and in loving God, love our neighbours. Our practices of routinely and habitually loving God and our neighbours teach our hearts to love them. They are a school for love. These are the atomic habits of a truly loving life. The regular setting aside of time for remembering God and remembering our commitments to our families, our neighbours and to the creation itself inflames in us the desire to love them all the more. Now, to be honest, these, 
These past two years have been very difficult for some of us as we've had our fellowship so disrupted and our habits broken. It's really difficult in this world which is teaching us alternative habits, an alternative set of commandments. It's, it's extremely difficult for us to inculcate in our own lives the habits of following God. And these two years have made it even more difficult. You and I are going to have to be extremely deliberate, I think, about reforming these habits in the coming months. Finding once again these habits of love, turning to God, turning to one another, turning to our neighbours, if we are to grow once more in our love for God and for each other. And so these four fine things we find when we turn to the Ten Commandments. But two things to finish with. The Bible tells us that the law has two really important functions for us. The, the, the law is like a mirror and it's like a lamp. A mirror and a lamp. It's a mirror in which we can see ourselves for what we are. And it's a lamp which guides us in how to live. Now, on the one hand, the law is a mirror. The commandments give us the truth about what we are really like. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I just don't want to look in the mirror or hop on the scales. And in particular, in those weeks after Christmas, I don't know if this was your experience, but uh, my mum uh, gives us uh, a three-kilogram Christmas cake, most of which I eat, and uh, that really does make a significant impact on my shape. And so I want to avoid the truth, don't I? I don't want to go around to the, uh, to the mirror, get on the scales and find out truth. And, but it's really vital to know it so that the situation can change, actually face up to reality. When we hear the law, it's like looking in the mirror. We see what we are really like. And who can say that they have kept even this short list of the commands. Which sounds like bad news. But because they give us bad news, the commandments drive us to the good news. To find in the death of Jesus the forgiveness we need. And so we can say with Paul in Romans 8, one of the most exciting chapters of the Bible, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, even though according to the law we were judged and found wanting. And so as part of our Christian lives, we go again and again to the law to hear the truth about what we are like. But because of Jesus Christ, even though we find the truth, the unpleasant and uncomfortable truth, we do not find condemnation. Because we find that we are driven there to turn to the cross where we find miraculously, astonishingly, to our joy and relief that Christ has died for us. We will keep coming back to look in the mirror of the commandments again and again so that we can know the truth about ourselves and continue to rely on Jesus to know the good news of his death. But just as it's a mirror, the commandments are also a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. They guide us in how to live. What does God want us to do? What does our great creator and redeemer ask of you and me? So, let us look into this mirror and let us let this lamp light up our paths.
Who is good? The Lord God, he is good. He alone is worthy of our worship. And what is good? His commandments are indeed good. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.